0: And today, now we're talking about email marketing. And you know, I love social. You know, I li- love life. email marketing is not dead. The end. Today's guest, I ran across him on Twitter. He writes um, over on uh, let's see if I word the website go. Associations now. That's associationsnow.com. And he wrote an interesting article about the state of email marketing in 2021. What are the trends? What are the things to consider? Uh, He works with Manifest.com. Ernie Smith, we'll get him on the show here. Ernie, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Glad to be here. So tell us about uh, email marketing. What do we have to think about? And I mean, it's always an interesting topic, right? I mean, it's not dead. Ask my email inbox. But what are the trends we have to focus on this year? You
1: know, the thing is, I think that email has been has been around forever. And I think that there's always conversation about it dying. And I think that in many ways, email marketing is more here right now than it probably has been in quite a while.
0: <laughs> because every, I mean, because everybody is, you know, checking email. I mean, it's hard for me to keep up on all these social streams, quite frankly. But why what do you mean by that? Why is it here more than ever?
1: well I think that I think that part of it is that there are, there's a lot more sophistication in sort of the tools that are being used by by businesses to reach customers, but on top of all this, there's kind of this this trend that's going on right now that's really picking up where uh, more personal newsletters are also really really coming into style uh, where it's becoming a little bit more of a a way to a way to have an intimate connection with readers not just uh, not just to have like a really targeted you know marketing strategy as well
0: well what's interesting what's, what's interesting about that comment personal newsletters i mean i have a personal newsletter on my blog right authenticstorytelling.net and certainly i mean i've had that for a long time and it's slowly but surely growing and now i don't know if you saw the news but twitter now has a social media, uh, has an email newsletter integration. It's not perfect, and it doesn't integrate like the LinkedIn newsletters, for example. Like you go to review or review, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, to 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 sign up for their service, basically. Um, but everybody seems to be pushing email for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that review is a really good example uh, because uh that before before Twitter bought it, literally last week they bought it, um, it had been a service um that was a paid service that uh a number of uh, media outlets uh such as the market used to to basically send messages to to their audiences. So the fact that like this was like a professional tool that is now bought by Twitter and it's kind of being pitched as this free thing that consumers can, can use as well as businesses. I mean, like, I think that that kind of shows how the tide is changing in uh, email's favor.
0: So interesting comment. I actually blogged about that over on AuthenticStorytelling.net. Um, so I might actually have to add that in there. So uh, this conversation in, in, in the article so really, the reason Twitter is promoting it is because they own it. So they want you to tie—they want to tie you more to them, right? So if I am an occasional Twitter user, but now I'm seeing the, the um, that integration, and I sign up, and I don't know—do you have to pay for it at some point, or is it all—is oh, it free? It was free when I looked at it, but I don't know.
1: It's it's free, but like what they what they do, what the business model is, um, it's actually really comparable to Substack. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that service, but it's uh, that's an email service that people can use to make their own subscription publications, and Substack takes a 10% cut. Um, in the case of in the case of Review, um, after the Twitter acquisition, it's a 5% cut. So it's actually if you want to start a subscription newsletter. Uh, you can kind of get a deal by going through review. And if you just want to start something free, there's no, there's no charge, it's it's currently free to use.
0: So real advantages there, but you still, just like Substack, you still have to build your audience. I mean, so that's kind of why I gave up on it. I'm like, I don't want to import my list here. I don't, like on LinkedIn, when I do a LinkedIn email newsletter, right? It goes to my connections and whatever. So that makes sense. But I'm like, now I got to build an email list again. How do I get it over here? Whatever. So, um, but it's also super easy to just implement the, um, you know, implement it.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that's, um, I literally just acquired them a week ago. So yeah. I'm sure that like, they're just thinking, man, there are so many opportunities for this. You know, they probably just want to say a website, website where, is, where newsletters are listed on Twitter and you click that and it leads to review. Like, that is the starting point of the good integration,
0: <laughs> but
1: mm-hmm. I think that I think that there are a lot of advantages to uh review in particular, in that it has a lot of uh zapier integration um so you can basically hook it up to if you have a Zapier account, you can hook it up to anything that has an API so that means like if you're trying to build your list like wherever like maybe maybe use like uh a pop-up tool like the hubs that have that tied to Zapier, and that will go into your review list. And you know, there are a number of other integrations as well. But like that's that I think is like kind of the advantage. If you already are good at marketing in other places, like it could be a real way to sort of to sort of build up, you know, a list. You know, build up an email offering on the cheap
0: yeah yeah absolutely so i mean just keep that in mind you still got to grow your list so in your article you talked about like interactive elements visual things uh, workflow optimization let's talk about that a little bit if we can uh interactive is interesting and, and i'd like to hear your i um, i'm really sorry i don't remember the name it's been a few months but basically the argument was we shouldn't do um highly designed emails right just like text hello Christoph. blah 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 it looks more human doesn't look as markety uh is that what we're talking about here interactive to make it look um you know i hate to say the term my design friends don't add me don't be upset with me but um (laughs) you know do we want to make it pop more or what, what are we talking about with interactive elements well i'm very much of the opinion
1: like i'm I'm a bit of a design nerd. I I've had a lot of uh, I have a lot of background. Like I used to work in newspapers as a designer and such. So like, you know, I'm always pro like visuals. <laughs> that's that's just who I am. But but that said, um, I think that I think that in the case of email, um, there's you know there there's been a bit of a challenge in trying to like make that kind of a medium that pops. In part because um, you know. Email clients like Outlook and Gmail, like they aren't like as robust with their email with their HTML offer- offerings as uh, you know as say like a traditional web browser might be. But like um, one thing that's really evolved lately is uh, there have been there have been additional tools uh, AMP for email, which is uh, an offering from that was started by Google. I think that they're trying to make it an open standard, but what it can do is offer a lot of a lot of interactivity to basically show you like here you know you you can make it so that there you know you can do like an interactive quiz or you could like have you know have somebody fill out a form or i mean like these are a lot of these are theoreticals i mean like i don't think that a ton of people are using that just yet but um there are ways that it could it could really you know, just update over time to, to match your needs. But even with more traditional type of coding with emails, there's still a lot that could be done. Uh, I actually just ran into a message uh, done by the New Yorker. It was like sort of a re-engagement type message where basically if you scrolled over a piece of, uh, a, a piece of text, like a, a button, it like would show, it would like a, uh, pop up like some, some text message to, you know, to like really encourage just like your cursor to engage with the message. So I think that as a result of just like this thing being in people's toolboxes for so many years, uh, you know, there, there is a discipline around it. And I think people are getting a lot better at trying to use email. And as a result, it encourages just this kind of interactivity, you know, from like people that are they're clever enough to uh, take advantage of it, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, they make it more useful, hopefully, for the end user. Um, you know, that's kind of that's that's always what I preach. Honestly, you know, make it helpful for the end user. Stay in front of them and and don't be a pain. Um, I yeah, quite frankly, I just thought of that. I got an email today actually from somebody. And I know it was their automated email. And I like them. They're a thought leader. They're somebody I actually know personally. And the email says, well, you never open our emails. Uh, Would you still want to get them? And I know that's a strategy, but (laughs) I read them like in the preview. And sometimes I open them and sometimes I don't, you know. So anyway, just that's on a side note a little bit. Um, The other thing you talked about was workflow optimization. This is always an interesting topic to me because I've worked with teams, Ernie, where Literally, they wrote them in a Word document and they copied and pasted stuff over. And I don't get it. I mean, I get it. I know why we're there. But even when, you come, when it comes to content creation, how many content teams write in a Word doc or a Google doc and then they copy and paste over? I directly write in WordPress, write in the CMS, wherever you create the content. And in WordPress, you can see changes. So when somebody goes in and they make changes, you can see them. It's not like track changes, but pretty close. Um, and every time my opinion is, you copy and paste, you can insert mistakes into the workflow. It's just a pain in the butt. Um, what What else is that? What we were talking about when we talk about workflow optimization, or what other things come to mind that people should focus on?
1: I think that I think that that's part of it. Um, I think that there's yeah. I I honestly. I have kind of strong opinions about this a little bit but I do think that a lot of people who send emails, you know, you know, especially those that are intended to be like actual newsletters to send news, they don't they don't take they 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 approach it like, you know, oh we'll just build this in Mailchimp or whatever and you know, that just adds a lot of steps to the process because of the way that they have to they have to build it. I mean, you know, build editor it's fine for what it does, but, you know, I think that, I think that what we're seeing a little bit is that there are pushes to take advantage of, okay, we already have WordPress. We already have Drupal, you know, how can we make, how can we make the workflow work within those? And I think that there are a couple of things that are being done on that front, which are really interesting. But I also think that you have to think about editorial workflow as well, which means like how the content is timed, how, you know, how it's it's built out. And in the case of more automated messages, basically building out like specific workflows. So like if you're trying to do a re-engagement campaign, like this is, you know, this is how it's done. You're not reinventing the wheel every time out.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what it comes back to, honestly, reinventing the wheel. I mean, seriously. And and the other thing is, I don't know how – how can you automate things? So I'll give you an example. Um, I know some of the stuff you can, but um, – so if I write an article, I have the same inline call to action after the nth paragraph, right? And I can change the nth paragraph. I mean, I can do some of those things on email, right? Like it's automatically – I don't have to recreate the wheel. Uh, what else can I do? I mean, is there um, – we actually – Um, Raza IO, they were on the show way back when, before we even went live with this, with this baby, um, you know, and they talked about some of the the AI, how the AI puts things together, you know, and, and, based on what, what I, what they think the user might find interesting. I mean, what, what, what other things, um, should we know about
1: yeah, I should I should point out that associations now uh, uh ASAE they actually use AI, And uh, you know, one of the things that that they kind of do is their their system is RSS, like is RSS based. It kind of pulls in from a lot of different places, but like what you know, what it does is it actually, you know, when when things come in and get published. You know, like they they're kind of set up hierarchically so that so that, you know, one thing shows up in the top of the newsletter or something shows further down. And as a result of that, like, you know, the reader kind of gets a totally personalized newsletter each morning, which which is really cool. I mean, that's you know, that's something that I think is uh you know, I, I think is going to become you know, for, for a lot of organizations that produce like a lot of content each day, you know, associations, that being be kind of a great example of this, um, you know, like that helps to encourage readers who may find articles in the case of associationship more interesting than they might about, you know, finance or, you know, technology. And it kind of gives, it, it kind of guesses like what they might want and gives them a little bit of a choice so i think that that is you know that i think is a strategy that is going to become more sophisticated over time um i think that there's all like uh conditionals in emails so um Email Octopus, which is uh, an email provider I'm familiar with, uh, they actually offer a way to do conditionals. So like if, you know, if if like there's, you know, if like a user has this like status thing in their in the database, uh, it'll show this message within the email or, you know, what have you. And that way, you know, you're not trying to build like <laughs> multiple types of, of messages, you know, to, to like hit different types of users, like you're just building one message of, you know, it matches what the user needs.
0: Which of course, you know, a little bit of a guessing game sometimes. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I'm shopping for my wife on Amazon and this happens less and less, not the shopping for her, but that Amazon gets it wrong. And now because I looked at something for her that I personally don't care about, you know, Amazon chases me around the web. With their ad to buy that, and that happens less and less, so certainly um, all this technology is getting better as we speak, and I mean that 's kind of the reality of things. Uh, the third item you mentioned in your article was the rise of dark mode, and believe it or not, ernie, I got nothing I got no opinion phil <laughs>
1: I, I appreciate I appreciate your uh, your honesty on that one well, what I will say is that there's been kind of a push, uh, probably it was kind of started a little bit by, by Apple uh, with uh, Mac OS 10.14 Mojave, um, which was uh, basically, you know, basically the big feature in that version of Mac OS was, was dark mode. And um, I'm, I'm a fan. Basically it changes your interface so that as a result, like, you know, you're not like getting hit with bright interface all over the place. And one of the things that uh, Safari can do in particular is, you can actually put settings in there so that when your user goes, you know, when your user goes to that page and they have dark mode turned on, it'll show a dark version of the page rather than, you know, the bright white page that you might traditionally get. And since Safari is kind of the basis for email in iOS in particular, um, it has it has made this opportunity for uh, mobile emails to to have like a dark mode that matches that matches their user interface. Uh, it's it's become more common in Android and iOS, and I think that while it's not so much in the desktop versions of like Gmail, for example, I think that for for many users it's just kind of an opportunity to have personal preference it's kind of a design thing that like really comes out in favor of you know giving you giving the user choice and the downside of that is if you don't do anything there's a chance that your email might look a little mangled <laughs> so you need to be aware of of the issues of dark mode, even if you're not using it, just so you know, like, hey, like, I might need to account for this in the next template that I build.
0: I'm serious. I mean, it never ends, the stuff that we have to worry about and think about. Oh, my God, now we have, then we have different device sizes. Then we have this. Then we have that. Then we have mm-hmm. uh, whatever it's called, the promotions tab, which I don't, I don't really use that, honestly, but um, stuff to think about. Then we have the whole thing about, Now you can delete emails from your Apple Watch, right? Like I see an email and I go, (laughs) trash, right? Boom, done. Um, You can do that from your phone, et cetera, et cetera. Realistically, though, when it comes to dark mode, how do I, like, what do I even have to think about? Or is that more of a design decision? And then how do I test it, I guess?
1: You know, I think that... um yeah you know, one of the things that I'll say is that it is a design thing. I think that with email design you know is kind of intertwined to it to a degree because marketing and design are so intertwined so as a result, like you need to think about it in those terms. but I think that uh if you're you know, if you're a professional, if you're a professional marketer and you're making a lot of emails, it might be good to invest in a tool that allows for testing. There are a couple out there, a couple that I I know of are litmus and email, email on asset. And basically what those do is they allow you to test one email across numerous clients. So you can get a take, you can get a look of like, Okay, here's how it looks in standard Gmail, here's how it looks in the most recent version of Outlook for Windows, here's how it looks in uh, Gmail for Android, here's how it looks in, you know, if you whatever, you know, whatever option is out there, like they've they've thought of it. Like and, and the thing is like people people have, you know there are a lot of choices out there and, you know, there are always those edge cases, which might trip you up. I mean, if you remember like trying to build websites in the internet Explorer six era, for example, like it's very much like that with email these days, it's, it's kind of the same technology to some degree. (laughs) So as a result, like with, you know, if you're doing a lot of email marketing, like design can be a part of it. So that's, that's why stuff like dark mode comes up.
0: And a friendly reminder to anyone, not just the CEOs, not just the bosses, everybody, but especially the bosses. If you do use dark mode and you see a problem, don't email your team and say there's a problem with dark mode. That doesn't help. That's like saying to me, Christoph, we don't like you. Because, and I'm like, why not? Well, because we don't. Does, I can't improve on that. So take a screenshot, send it to the team. I'm sure everybody would want to learn together. I mean, this dark mode—it's—it's it's pretty. I mean, I've actually used dark mode before. I'm not a big fan. I didn't realize how you know what what you take was on on how it fits together. Uh, but every time you see something, take a screenshot, ship it to the team. Um, you know, and I'm sure they don't mind. So uh, web fonts—that's another thing you mentioned in your article. By the way, guys. The link to the article is in the show notes so you can um, you can click on over and, and take a look if you like to um, what do we talk about here web fonts what, what what is that why is that important
1: um, one thing I'll say is that for a number you know this kind of ties into the same types of issues as dark mode does which is basically that there are things that are possible like on on the web that aren't as easily possible in email. And one of those things is the ability to to add your own fonts. And I think that, you know, what happens is that some of the most, you know, for most users, they may not see like anything beyond like the standard, like five or six website fonts, for example, they're using Gmail, but there are some areas where the, where like fancier fonts are possible. And they tend to be areas that are most attractive to, to marketers. Um, A good example of this is, is web fonts, which can be used in, which can be used on uh, mobile Safari slash uh, Apple mail. So as a result, like all those iPhone users that are, you know, that they're looking at their at their email they they have the potential to get like a nicer experience than than somebody's you know some some person who's who's reading their email on uh on gmail for example so so as a result like it's it's one of those things where if you look at building email as like here's the experience for most people, but there are potential there are potential areas to add value to more valuable types of users mobile users being a good example of this like there are cool ways to add to add to the experience you know i think that it's it's one of those trends that it would be nice if it was in more places it would be nice if gmail supported it better but you know the fact that like it does show up for a lot of people in apple mail like that makes it that makes it kind of an attractive thing to try out if you're you know, interested in that
0: type of audience. Yeah, interesting. I, and certainly we need to think about um, how readable is it? How does it look? And, and you know, especially on the web too, I mean, 14 font, 16 font size, size font, something like that. My latest book, it's coming out, guys, going live. At forward slash going hyphen live. And I got 14 size font so people can read it. So you don't, have to do it. you don't have to bring it closer. Yes, I'm getting older. Maybe not as grumpy as my age shows. But anyways, um, finally, you talk about user-generated content. And I do have a quick story on user-generated content. People have talked about that for a long time. And I grew up in journalism. And of course, know, generated content, that means they don't need journalists anymore. That means they don't need whatever. And And I'm saying this again. Just because... Because people and users are people, create content. That doesn't mean we need we don't need journalists. We still need professional writers. We still need live streamers. We st- like everybody can go live. Like seriously, can everybody go live like this to six channels and you know Amazon and put in them into a podcast? Well, to an extent, they can, but there is a certain level of skill involved, right? Um, to to pull it off without giving yourself a heart attack every time. I'm just giving everybody the advice. Don't be um, so defensive about using user-generated content or working with people. I'm not a big fan of the term user. You know, like, I don't know. People-generated content isn't much better, quite frankly. But, you know, they're people. Like, they're part of our community, part of our audience. Um, But why is user-generated content? Let's stick with the term, whether I like it or not. um, Why is that important? And how does that fit into email for for the year here?
1: Um, I think that, I think that one of the things that's really, that's really key is that given this is associations now, like one of the things that they're always focused on is trying to engage with their members, trying to, uh, you know, trying to engage with the people that they're trying to reach. So, you know, obviously users, you know, takes a lot of forms, but I think that, uh, in this case you know thinking about thinking about the way that an association or a trade group wants to encourage conversation to happen you know user generated content is a great way to do this because if you send out to if you if you send a message out to your members that has a little bit of an authentic feel to it um it you know it feels like it's it, it feels like you're not getting the message from, you know, top on down. Like it, it feels like you're, you're seeing, you know, it feels like it's making you a little bit more of a part of the conversation. And I think that, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned in the piece is like, you could use tools to like, sort of, you know, pull in this, pull in this user generated content. Um, Like Typeform form is a really good example of a tool like this. Like you can use that to just sort of, to to just sort of pull your readers occasionally and you know use that as a way to to build out like a regular a regular newer. and that way you can kind of hit them you can kind of hit your members or kind of hit your audience you know whatever the shape that is you know like obviously <laughs> you know a giant company may have a little bit more of a challenge you know trying to do user generated content versus a small business but i think that the you know the idea basically translates so that it shows that you have you know you you are listening and you are trying to encourage engagement with with readers and i think that user generated content like it's it's also a way you know kind of touching on your point with with journalists and such like yeah you know, I, I think it's a I think it's a way to to really curate your audience a little bit and, and sort of and sort of highlight the the way the way that they're thinking about like a specific issue. Like if you put a tough question in front of them and you know they offer an interesting answer, like that, you know, it may not be the same as reporting, but it's really it's it's a really smart way to use kind of your journalistic nose you know, to, to really tell an interesting story, even if like they're the ones writing all the words.
0: (laughs) It was great to have you on the show. Great for you. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge. Uh, People can connect with you, of course, on LinkedIn. We shared that link manifest.com really quickly. What's manifest.com. It is a, it is a
1: content marketing agency Uh, has, has a whole lot of, it has a whole lot of content a whole lot of marketing <laughs> but uh you know it was a content marketing agency of the year in uh 2019 um they yeah you know, and uh i've been there for over 8 years now so clearly i must like it
0: <laughs> fantastic and thank you so much congratulations um for the content marketing world award last year um uh, we'll see what happens with content marketing world this year would would be nice to go back to cleveland for sure COVID, <laughs> I've been in this seat, seriously, last 12 months, haven't gone anywhere. Ernie, nice to connect with you. Really appreciate you making the time. Um, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Take it easy. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live-streamed on major social media channels, and part of the db television network, available on most U.S. television sets, and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go.